thought today we'd have a little Kate Bush and invite comedian, panellist and music critic Ed Amon on, who last year came on and said that he had never heard of Kate Bush. Um, he since has been given fresh ears to Kate Bush and has reviewed for us Wuthering Heights, Running Up That Hill, and now is reviewing this song here. Kate Bush is the only artist that he reviews as a music critic. Ed, kia ora. Kia ora, everyone. It's good to be on the penultimate show. Okay, so, Ed, uh, you are very new to Kate Bush, never heard of her before, but you quite like Wuthering Heights. You quite like Running Up That Hill. How do you feel about Babushka? Well, Babushka is also one of the songs that I heard just this morning when I realized that it's going to be played today. <laughs> and um, it is, um, it's, it's okay. Uh, it's not at the level of Wuthering Heights. Uh, Kate Bush needs some work on it, but uh, um, I quite enjoyed it. It's a little bit catchy, but there's a lot going on in the song. And there's no ending in the song, which was quite, yes. uh, quite a... Uh, 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 quite a disappointment for me, but I quite liked it. But it's still, you know, I, I saw the video. I don't know if you guys have seen the video. There's a lot happening, and a guy who grew grew up in Pakistan listening to music where people just sit down on the floor and do the tabla and the sitar, and there's a lot of activity in the song, which uh, I didn't really um, uh, like, but, you know, it's okay. Great review. <laughs> Great review of your first listen to Babushka there, and you make some. He makes some really good points, doesn't he, Steve? He, you do, mate. But but seriously, look, I'm I'm, I'm an old hand at Kate Bush here, right? I've been listening to Kate Bush seriously. I mean, I, I remember when Wuthering Heights first came out. I was living in England. I was I was young, and it, it kind of like changed my life. Here's what you need to do: get yourself a copy of the album Hounds of Love, right? Put a really good pair of headphones on and just listen to the entire thing straight through. And in particular, the second half, it used to be it was on vinyl, it was side two, and it's a concept side called The Ninth Wave. And just let that sort of wash over you, become the music, and it will it will do things to you, seriously. But it's can you, magnificent. But, 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 can, oh, can, can, that's, that's great. I mean, the future uh, finance minister of New Zealand has given me homework. <laughs> I'll definitely do it. I'll definitely do it. In fact, one, one of my policies, every New Zealand citizen gets issued with their own copy of, of Hounds of Love. It's, it's a public service. The policies come rolling uh, in here. Boopsy, uh, have you heard of Kate Bush? I feel like I have homework to do now as well, but I'm a big believer in albums. and I. What about Kate Bush? I don't know. I'm from California. I know Snoop Dogg. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, Snoop Dogg. Yeah, hang on, hang on. You... Uh, where are we going here? You haven't heard of Kate Bush either? All I took from that song was Babushka being Czech. I was like, oh, Grandma, a song about Grandma. They, they, they must have heard of Kate Bush in California. What do you listen to in California? Uh, well, we listen. It depends where you're from. I'm from L.A. Some people, I listen to Nirvana and Hole, I guess, it, but I also, yeah, Kate Bush, I missed it. <laughs> what, that, 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 is the third, that is the third degree I got the first time I informed <laughs> Wallace that I hadn't heard of Kate Bush. But, hang on, hang on. I've got to boopsy a hard time here, right? Why are Americans so musically narrow-minded? I mean, you expect us to know about Snoop oh, Dogg, but you don't know about Kate Bush. so arrogant this afternoon, Steve. <laughs> hey, I'm the expert here, I'm the expert here. Yeah, 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 yeah sorry. the expert. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm from Manchester, I'm the music expert. <laughs> I will go first in saying that I'm always learning and I'm open to all forms of music only after I hear it, okay, which I appreciate. Right. panel poll, panel poll time. Kate Bush or Snoop? Text me. Two, <laughs> one. Zero, one. My producer says Snoop all day. That's one. It's up there uh, with cake or death, really, isn't it, to be fair, mate? Ed, Snoop, have you heard of Snoop Doggy Dog? 
Oh, yeah, of course. You know, they, <laughs> have you heard of Doggy Land? He made a kids' music album. Kate hey, Bush yeah. made a kids' album. Ed, Ed thank you. Uh, sorry, Steve. Dejected. <laughs> he really looking dejected. Ed, I'm on. Have a great Christmas. You too, all of you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Cheers, mate. Uh, the panel, uh, Steve McKay, Boops and Moran, this afternoon. Air New Zealand has announced they are changing the flight times for almost 2,000 international flights in the new year. Around 90% of those who have been changed to a time within an hour of the original flight, but... 10% will not be able to travel on the same day. Air New Zealand says they've made changes to build flex and certainty into our network. So there's going to be some travel plan changes here with us as House of Travel Commercial Director Brent Thomas. Kia ora, Brent. Yeah, good afternoon. So you've got that. I mean, on one hand, uh, the stats are pretty good. Eh? 90% have been changed within an hour. But you've got that 10% who cannot travel the same day, and that is a big extra outlay often. Yeah, it's certainly going to be a big disruption for a lot of Kiwis heading overseas on Air New Zealand. Even the ones within 60 minutes uh, doesn't mean that they don't have a disruption as well because if you've got connecting flights, uh, if you're out by an hour, that can certainly impede upon you getting from one flight to another. And it's not just about the flights, of course, it's about the accommodation, the rental cars, uh, sightseeing, cruises that you might be connecting to. So um, whilst it's good that Air New Zealand's given us a, a fair amount of announce, uh, sort of notice about it, uh, it is a significant disruption and, and certainly going to be upsetting for some people. Can you give us some context of uh, why this happened? Well, basically at the moment, demand is out supply so there's just so much demand out there and what we are seeing is that you know Air New Zealand like many airlines are having problems to keeping up with that demand and when what uh, aircraft can't travel for whatever reason whether it be mechanical or sickness within the cruise you have a concertina effect so if you think about it if you've got a plane that's meant to go off at seven o'clock in the morning and it can't for whatever reason, and even domestically that might have 160 people on it. If you've got 90% full on all your next flights, it's going to take at least 10 flights to clear that backlog, and we just simply don't have those kind of numbers of planes sitting around. So typically airlines would run somewhere between 75 and 82% full. Now they're over 90%. Backlogs just take forever to clear out. I mean, it really makes you wonder how much faith you can place in someone who used to run an airline, doesn't it? Um, well, but, but yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a real issue here that you know that, that the demand has outstripped the supply, and, and the Air New Zealand hasn't got the uh, equation right, uh, you know, in terms of how many crew that they've got and, and the capacity should something go go wrong, and, and therefore um, have that spare capacity in the in the marketplace, um, you know, and obviously then what's happening is the New Zealand consumers paying for that and the pricing as well, so we've seen significant increases in the pricing. Far greater well, than the cost. Yes. Is this at all? Is this different than any time before? Like from my experience flying since I was fifteen, I used to fly overseas. There's always that chance of um, changing. Okay. So is this rare for Air New Zealand? Because I've done my Jetstars and my I've done my Ryanair flights, and this is the norm. So um, yeah, yeah, this is unusual in terms of you know they are a quality airline over many years. You know they've won many prestigious awards because of their quality of airlines, but the situation simply is that uh, the demand's outstripping the supply. And, and so is it just them off. coming forward way in advance saying, hey, we can see this happening in nine months, rather than you arriving to the airport and being cancelled right in front of your face, which is what's happened all over in the States, is you literally have people arriving at the airport. So isn't that the better option, I guess? 
Oh, there's definitely the better option to have their notice, but, but there's a lot of work and there certainly could be some cost for people. And, and the mm. question around that, of course, is who's liable for that cost um, because who's making the decision that's going to cause the impact. So that's and with that announcement, can insurance cover that or no? Well, that's the thing we have to work through. You know, it, it's pretty well hot off the press. Unfortunately, it's two days before Christmas, which is not <laughs> great news for anybody. I'm not quite sure their timing was, was uh, immaculate mm. from that point of view. So we're going to have to work through what can be uh, claimed. Uh, and mm. who's responsible? Is Ian New Zealand responsible? You know, they're the kind of questions that we'll have to answer. Can I ask, is this, is this uniquely an Air New Zealand problem? Are other airlines, say, you know, your, your Qantas and people like that, dealing with something similar? Do Air New Zealand get credit for front-footing this, or are they simply um, not able to be nimble enough where other airlines could be? What's the, what's the, the, the context for this? Oh, I think we all can see that many industries have been hit by shortages of staff. I'm not quite sure where all these people have gone over the last two years, but there's a lot of industries have been impacted. Uh, credit to Amazon because they have front-footed it. At least they've given us many months' notice to, to sort it out. Um, is it affecting other airlines? Most definitely, but it's also affecting hospitality, hotels. There's a lot of industries, not just in the travel and tourism sector, who are being impacted by these sorts of things right. as well. Hey, just finally, uh, Brent, is there any going into the season? Is there any um, uh, morsel of advice that you can give us to perhaps alleviate uh, or uh, front foot the issue? Um, I think the key thing is book through a travel agent. I know that sounds like a sales story, but the reality is one phone call is means that uh, we can work through uh, someone's bookings, where if they book themselves, they're going to have to do an airline, they're going to have to do a car rental, they're going to have to do hotels, et cetera, et cetera. It is a nightmare for a tra- uh, traveller if they have these kind of disruptions. So booking through a travel agent actually adds a huge amount of value in these kind of situations and, and creates uh, an opportunity for sh- just uh, show just kind of things that the travel agent does do. All right, Brent, kia ora. Thank you for your time. That's Brent Thomas, the House of Travel uh, Director. None, uh, needless to say, uh, in, in, in this, it was a very interesting piece actually by Grant Bradley um, talking about just... Um, you know, a big family getting together. It took the logistics of taking getting together was months. Uh, they were out by one day, just one day, and all up because you had to rearrange all the accommodation. It cost them about six grand. Mm. It's really, really um, just. It's tough stuff, isn't it? When yeah. your plane gets delayed. I think I've created so many more buffers now post-COVID. So I think when I choose to travel now, I have like a four-day buffer now on each side. And when okay. you and I used to use an agent all the time, but well, now doing it on my own. If all I right. do it on my own, I kind of separate it out more. Okay. Give yourself space because post-COVID, this is not new news yep. that these things come up. Sure. Right? So you prefer doing it through through the website through yourself. Either or, but either way, give myself a buffer between huge investments like a three-day trip to Disneyland or this. I wouldn't go off the plane into that kind of okay. expensive adventure. I'd give myself a little Okay, uh, now, uh, large response here, whether or not uh, you prefer Snoop Dogg over Kate Bush. Uh, it's not a poll, but we'll tell you the tenor of the texts uh, toward the end of the program. Sam is working through them uh, as we speak. But to this, a recent study has found that disabled people experienced insurmountable barriers accessing health care during the COVID-19 pandemic. This study focused on deaf people's experiences of health care access and found that health care provision consistently breached the human rights 
guaranteed under the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. The research is from Victoria University of Wellington, Massey University and uh, Kaitiaki Research and Evaluation released the first of several disability-focused papers just this week. It's a human rights issue as health professionals failed to make reasonable accommodations, said one of the authors. And with us is Dr. Michael Raguski, paper's co-author from Kaitiaki Research. Dr. Raguski, kia ora. Kia ora, guys. How's things? Very well, thank you. Now, some of this centred around mask use. Tell us a bit more about that. So that was the primary uh, primary barrier that um, the, uh, the deaf people encountered, was the, just the inability to be able to communicate with health health providers um, because of a reliance on lip reading and facial gestures. And it became a human rights issue because under the convention, reasonable accommodation needs to be made. And there are face shields and there are masks, for instance, that are clear. And this wasn't part of our response. It also became a human rights issue because people... Um, experienced huge delays seeing their providers, chose often not to see the providers, and when they did go, um, were often in prolonged pain. Like one of our participants, she um, she went to the emergency department and she wasn't allowed an interpreter there or a family member who could interpret on her behalf because of the restrictions around um, trying to stop the, um, the virus spreading. And so she sat for three hours because she couldn't communicate and she was in a, a really acute pain. And then finally the hospital allowed an interpreter to come in. But we heard, heard a number of horrendous stories very similar to that. And, um, yeah, sorry. Gosh. And so this meant uh, that often deaf people would just choose to disengage with the health system. Absolutely. And so what's, what we're seeing, so we saw the short-term effects, which was isolation, huge degree of anxiety around accessing healthcare, worry, um, depression, um, adverse mental health reactions, and, the, and also just not getting um, primary medical care. But now we're seeing a long-term effect for the study. So what we've done is we've interviewed 72 um, disabled people around the, the Motu with a variety of disabilities. And we're really concerned because with the removal of mask use at the moment, what we're finding is that a lot of disabled people aren't reintegrating into the community because of the high degree of comorbidities that people with disability often have. And so what we're seeing is, one, a, a disengagement from healthcare, but also um, the, a rippling effect in terms of the psycho-social sort of impacts of basically disengaging from the community as well. All right, Boopsie, let's bring you in. So I guess I did a little bit of, I had a ROPU that we created as a COVID response, and we kind of, at the early stages of COVID, we worked through some of the barriers they had, like um, getting Fano in, because each culture is different, so it's kind of like a translation issue. Is there now a COVID response, a pandemic response from this feedback? Is there a group now that can kind of, now that you have all this research, have you created a group that can kind of preempt any of these questions that might come up to integrate people back into using the service? Um, short answer, no. So the paper was only released on Monday, but and we have a paper coming out hopefully next week on blind and vision impaired people. Mm-hmm. And at the end of January, we have um, 
a paper that looks at Māori who are with disability and the responses there. So what we I know that um, the new Ministry of Disabled People they they are on board. Okay. But I think it's, it's about getting the Ministry of Health on board as well. That's mm. the that's the tricky. Yeah, so it's the knowledge here. It's getting that knowledge here so the people that need it or feel disenfranchised can learn. All right, Steve. I mean, obviously this is undeniably cruel. If if we're we're, we're putting this kind of of barrier to prevent people from accessing the health care they need, then that that, that, that is cruel um, up and down. But getting the the Ministry of Health on board seems like an odd thing to have to do. I mean, think back to to the daily stand-ups we had. Uh, during the the first two years of the pandemic, where always you would see b- between the PM and the DG, you would see Alan Wendon, those guys. I mean, we even know their names yes, for pity's sake. They right. were heroes, and everyone said it was fantastic that we were providing uh, sign language inter- interpretation for very very important public health information. So where's the follow through? Where's the where's the flow through on that to to the front lines? It seems like there's a huge disconnect there, and that's a real shame. Mm. Yeah, I agree, but I think we've got to remember we had a the New Zealand Disability Strategy in 2001. And there's been a a few amendments to that. And that we signed up for the UN Convention in 2007. So we just don't have the teeth behind it. So what we're talking about is a very ableist institution. And rather, I think our research is really pointing to the fact that let's look at the needs of our most marginalised people, of which disabled people arguably are, a significant part and we should build our health responses around the needs of the marginalised rather than the able-bodied and I think that would actually break down a lot of barriers and and have a huge movement forward Nice to have you on the programme Dr Raguski, kia ora. thank you for your time today Thanks guys, bye bye It's uh, Michael Raguski there, papers co-author there, yeah very um, concerning issue there and we will be hearing more about that uh, next week uh, a recent study finding that disabled people experienced insurmountable barriers accessing healthcare during uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Nine to five before we go to our next and final story, can I just tell you it's not a poll, but you overwhelmingly voted uh, for one artist if you had to choose Kate Bush or Snoop Dogg Boopsy uh, voted for Snoop Dogg and uh, Steve for Kate Bush uh, Ed Amont for Snoop Dogg. Who won by a large majority? Kate Bush. Quite right, too. There's hope <laughs> to humanity yet. I have lots of homework then. Catching well, up to do. You know, uh, I don't know who I vote for, but uh, I do like Snoop Dogg. Anyway, finally, Te Oraka, a thrift shop and sustainability hub located at the University of Otago, has taken out the student engagement category at the Australasian Green Gown Awards. The shop was opened by students to help reduce waste, selling everything from clothes and accessories to desks, tables, kitchenware and bedding. And on top of this, the shop hosts workshops on making reusable items and repairing broken items. Winning the Australasian Green Gown Award qualifies Te Oraka for entry into a global sustainability competition. With us is Ray O'Brien. He's the uh, University of Otago Sustainability Office, Sustainability Office Head. Kia ora, Ray. Kia ora. How are you? Very well. Congratulations. And another thing about this, I understand this shop is very popular with students. It is. We're, we're continually surprised by just how much interest it has generated and, and how it's engaging a whole group of students at 
we're just obviously looking for this. Um, yeah. Some some evenings when we have the night market on, we'll see three hundred students come through and in, in different groups. So, great so uh, thrift shops, repair cafes, whatever, nothing new there are in the country, but it seems to be that this shop here takes it to another level. How did it come about? Uh, like most of the good ideas, they come from the students. Yeah, so it was definitely a student idea. It was sort of piggybacked onto another initiative called Drop for Good, which was a collaboration we were doing with the Students Association, where at the end of each year, students were bringing all of the stuff they were clearing out of their flat for the end of the year, we'd store it for the summer, and then get it back out to them and, you know, at a very low cost, sell it to them at the, the start of the year. And those funds went back into Teoraka, and that's what initiated it and got it going. But student ideas, student initiatives, and just supporting students to do good stuff. Isn't it great to see something like this that is not just existing, but thriving? Also, the the frameworks in place must be um, large, right? So you must have admin you have to do. And if some other university wanted to copy this, are you open to giving them this kind of admin backlog that you have created in this amazing working system? Because... I just dropped off some DVDs in Spanish at Red Cross on the way here. I walked from home and dropped it off, and I was trying to get Spanish DVDs to a Spanish speaker. But here you are at school giving students exactly what they need at school. So you're in place. So you're reducing people um, driving around shopping. You're reducing people getting new things. So you're doing a lot of good. And how is it? Is this replicable? Do people ask you other schools? Yeah, it is replicable. Um, And there's actually not a huge burden of administration. Oh, wow. Uh, it, it took a little to get it started, but if you get your property people on side and they were completely on side, mm. if you've got if you're working with students who really want to put the energy into it, it doesn't take a lot of admin. Um, I think I, I need to pay tribute to to uh, Jessica Triscott, who's been sort of leading all of this and uh, the way that she promotes it through social media, and and that's probably the the biggest trick is getting people hooked in to just follow on. Oh, yeah that their passions for living a little bit more sustainable. So, so what have we got here? Just looking at a couple of things. Uh, uh, making reusable menstrual pads. That's one workshop. A Tetra pack and electrical recycling. You've got your bike repair workshops. A refill station for hand soap. Uh, dishwashing liquid, laundry liquid. And it keeps going quite a, a list of things that this uh, thrift shop does. Steve? That's a brilliant idea, isn't it? I mean, it's... It, it's one of those small steps we just need to keep on making to try and get this kind of attitude of stop throwing stuff away more mm. widely accepted. So all power to you, mate. I'm very impressed. So do you think the biggest barrier then for other schools or universities or people that want to do this is the rental and the storage? So the barrier would be the property where you store the goods. Yeah, you know, we are very much a campus university. So having that space accessible to everybody is definitely a key part of it. Um, I guess... Bigger cities with uh, more pressure on space, that might be a more mm. difficult hurdle, hurdle to overcome. Um, but, but also I think one of the, the, the keys to success rather than looking at the barriers is how much collaboration you can do because mm-hmm. just about all of those initiatives you listed are done in collaboration with another organisation. So the bikes, uh, we work with Southern Youth Development, who used to be known as the Malcam Trust here. Mm-hmm. Uh, they take bikes that are found abandoned on the street or on their way to landfill, and students work with them to fix up that bike, repair it, learn some skills along the way, put some koha uh, back to the trust, back to the, the, the Southern Youth Development Trust, okay. 
and the student has mobility for the rest of the year. Final thoughts, Steve. I'm just concerned about your business model. Where, where's the profit for the shareholders? How are we extracting profit from this? <laughs> We're not. It's, it's, uh, you're dealing uh, with a failed model. Don't Sorry. worry about Steve Ray. <laughs> he thinks he's a finance minister now. He's, 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 he's on another level uh, this afternoon. But for now, all the best and um, hope you uh, go well in the global competition. Thank you very much, and thanks for the opportunity to come and talk about it. That's uh, Ray O'Brien, the University of Otago Sustainability Office there. So, yeah, uh, a next-level thrift shop, Te Oraka, working out of Otipori uh, Dunedin there. And that's the show. Actually, a bit of feedback here. By the way, we are going to be talking about political memorabilia more tomorrow, people are asking. Uh, Paulette says, I have a social credit metal collar badge from the 60s. I babysat for a member of parliament. Here's one. Paddy says... I have a letter of thanks from then Prime Minister Michael Joseph Savage written to my great-aunt's husband who had written to wish the Prime Minister a speedy recovery as his health declined. I have the envelope it arrived in as well. Now that's worth 100000 That's brilliant. <laughs> what do I hear? Ooh, Guess what? Yes. LBC. Is this our day, Boopsie? Yes. A little bit of snooze for you. <laughs> Thank you very oh, much. Merry for Christmas, Christmas to all, eh? <laughs> yeah. Wonderful show, both. Steve McKay, Boots Moran, Kira to you both. I'm Wallace Chapman. Back tomorrow for the final show for 2022. See you then. Checkpoint next. Yeah.